0: All right. Uh, I've been thinking for about 20 minutes, should I sit or should I stand? I think I'm going to try standing for a while. My knee's been bothering me, but I think it's we're going to go for it. All right. Um, so I'm Dylan, many of you I know. Weren't you, those of you who went last week, just so blessed to see the camp there and just see those kids? Uh, I. I really was. I mean, I appreciate the sermon and all that, but I just think the atmosphere more than anything, just seeing some young lives changed, really, that just encouraged my heart so much. Uh, maybe especially cause I work with teenagers and, and I work in a secular environment and oh, I don't know, it really was refreshing for me. So I hope it was for you as well. Amen. Um, so I want to, um, wow, that thing says I have an hour and 25 minutes. I hope that's not right at all. <laughs> I, I'm scared if that's right. Um, <laughs> um, I want to I want to pick up where I left off a long time ago when I when I last spoke to you which was February I think it was a while ago, it was a while ago. and I know you all remember it perfectly clearly you took notes everything like that um, so but no when when I spoke to you last um, I I wanted to kind of give you some something from, from my experience and and I talked about this idea of well why do I believe and and Again, maybe just because of the context that I come from, I interact with a lot of people who do not believe what I believe, and and I live most of my life in a world where eh, you do too, honestly. But you know, um, where most people don't believe what I believe, and and sometimes, honestly, I feel like the stupid one in the room um, for thinking some things that I think. But really, when you pause and you you step back a little bit and you think, well, why do I believe what I believe? I think. That, um, that we find we have so many good reasons to believe and that we're not foolishly running off into oblivion. We are faithfully following our Father who has called us. And so, um, so that's kind of the backdrop here, Like, right? Why do I believe what I believe? And, and, and last time when I spoke to you, um, I, I mentioned a, a different question that I wasn't going to pursue. And, and today that's actually what I'm going to pursue. So, um, uh, the question that I want to pursue today is, is how do I believe? And, and I want you to just think that for a second. What, what do you mean by how do I believe? What, what does it mean to pose? Isn't believing just believing like that's it, right? You believe. Um, but I want to actually suggest to you, and I think this is scripturally backed that, that really this is more simp- more, more complex than just, I believe and that really we should investigate that a little bit and of course you know i've had um i think about a to prepare, so i've kind of had my mind ruminating on this for a while i actually started with the question how much do i believe and i realized the much wasn't really giving me anything and so i tossed that out the window and, and really now it's, it's just how do i believe so that's what i want to explore with you guys today and i want to also point out that um that you know this believing thing can be a little bit uh frustrating sometimes First of all, you can believe something and you can be wrong, right? Um, you, and sometimes you can believe things you can never know. Um, yesterday my daughter was not feeling well and my wife and I were talking about it. I was like, maybe it's this and maybe it's that and maybe it's this. And you know what? I think even if we had to heal in the room, she'd probably be like, well, could be any of those. Unless we learn lots of extensive tests, we'll never know. And, um, and that's just a little bit frustrating. But such is life. And then I would also point out that, um, that there's this annoying thing called doubt that kind of creeps in every once in a while. Have you ever locked the door to the bathroom, started doing something, and then went, wait, is the door locked? And you went back and checked, even though you like knew for sure that you locked the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you know, I've definitely had this one happen where it's like, um, uh, we're, we're just about to drive out the door. We had to have the oven or the stove on. And my wife's like, Hey, can you just check that real quick? I'm like, I know, I, I know I'm positive. I turned off, but I'm going to check anyways. Mm -hmm. What's the point of checking if you're positive? I don't know. We do it anyways. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's this interesting little aspect of like, we believe, but then something creeps in and just kind of presses on us and makes us really check how much we believe. Um, the thought occurred to me with some of my newborn kids that, you know, everybody who's not my wife, you have to be sitting while holding the baby because you never know, you might just trip. I didn't actually do that, but like the thought occurred to me, like, you know, people trip all the time. No, they don't actually trip all the time. Like, you know, people don't drop babies, but if it's your baby, you doubt a little bit, you watch very closely. At least that's my experience. All right. So, um, so going from this, why do I believe to how do I believe, um, I I wanna make sure we're clear on this, all right? Um, The first question is saying, what has caused me to believe, all right? Why do I believe? What has caused me? The second question, how do I believe is, is saying, in what way or manner do I believe? See the distinction there? We're gonna play around with that a little bit. All right, so, First of all, let me just prove that we need to actually have this way or manner bit. And so, I wanna, I wanna give us an ugly word to play around with for a minute. Nobody likes it, especially nobody in this room. How many of you know the word hypocrite? You hypocrite, oh, not a compliment. Um, It's really an interesting word, and um, the etymology of it is actually uh, very easy to see. So kind of, you know, when you look at words, you can kind of look through words and say, where did that word come from? What did it used to mean? Why is it in English anyways? You can ask all of that stuff. Um, Hypocrite is a Latin word, and it has two roots in it. Um, And you can actually see them in other places. That hypo, that H-Y-P-O, that means not enough, or a little bit. And you have words like hypothermia, which is not enough temperature in your body, right? That's a dangerous thing. Um, And so there's hypo, not enough. And then what's this other piece, crit, C-R-I-T-E? We actually see that in the English word creed, right? It means belief. A hypocrite is somebody who just doesn't believe enough, which, of course, proves something, which is that you can believe something but not enough, whatever that exactly looks like. Which, of course, we're going to play around with a bit today. And so if you think about it, you put those two together, you have not enough or like a little, and you have faith, you end up with this compound phrase of like little faith. As in, oh ye of little faith. Never heard that before? Could you just imagine with me, I, I honestly, I never thought of it until I was typing this up and it just occurred to me. Can you just imagine for a moment, Jesus pulling Peter, sopping wet into the boat and looking at him and saying, you hypocrite. I mean, that's basically what he said. He's like, ye of little faith, you know, why did you doubt? And it's like, hmm, that stings a little bit more. But like, I think we need to play around with that a little bit. What is this idea? Um, but we'll look at that a little bit more later. We're gonna, we're gonna reach Peter in just a little bit here. And just as a side note, it's interesting because we have the word hypocrite, but we don't have the opposite. A hypercrit. <laughs> Hyper. Um, and and for, for a moment that might just seem unfortunate, but then I think it's just obvious. For while a person can believe something 50%, maybe, um, you can't really believe something 150%. The truth in its fullness is enough. I think that's kind of cool, actually. All right, so let's look at some scriptures together. I'm gonna play fair this time, brought my Bible, my big official sermon giving, but not not really. Um, Let's look at some scriptures. The first one I wanna look at which I'm sure is familiar to all of you, is John chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse 1 through 12. See, this gives you time to find it. it, gives me time to find it. And we're going to talk about a guy for a minute named Nicodemus. All right. Um, and I'm actually, I'm going to give you, we're going to look at four different spots in the scriptures. And I think that once, once we look at all of them, I'm going to pose to you this question. What's the common theme between all of them, which should be, I'm hoping quite obvious. Let's find out. So, uh, John chapter three, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I wonder sometimes if he's being serious or sarcastic there. I think the result is pretty much the same either way. Um... Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And I'm gonna pause there. And I just wanna, just to to talk about it for a minute, I just wanna point out that Nicodemus is an expert He's the guy who should know. And, and Nicodemus clearly is coming in a state of believing, but not very much in a state of understanding. You know, he says, you know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That's a pretty good start. But I, I think it's really interesting how much confusion he also has when he's talking to Jesus. And, and you can see why. Jesus is asking him to do something that's literally impossible. But of course... There's more to it than that. Um, so then I would like to go to first Peter chapter 2. Second Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verses one through. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Nice little short one there. And I want to just point out that, um, that clearly we're working with a metaphor. It's, it's, it's automatically a metaphor because what is spiritual milk? Um, What is pure spiritual milk? And I think that's a good question to contemplate. I'm not gonna contemplate it too much quite yet. I would just point out that, um, you know, just hearing Emilio talking about these 11 people who gave their hearts to Christ, you know, what would be my advice to any one of them? I think my advice would be, start here. You know, look for the pure spiritual milk. But, Um, moving on. Now we're going to just flip a couple pages over to first John chapter three. Verses one through three. All right. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. All right, last one. And this is, I think, uh, kind of saved the, the le- not the best for last. I don't know, they're all good, but um, kind of the one that we're going to start in. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. All right. Okay. what's the common theme? Faith Well, faith. OK. Faith. Humility. Humility. Those definitely work. Understanding. Oh, understanding. Good. Submission. Submission. You got it all wrong. No, um, those are all good answers. Those are all good answers. They're not the one I wanted. You know, as a teacher, that's just, no, that does happen. Um, and, and, you know, you're supposed to ask questions that are open-ended, lots of different answers. All of that works. Um, and, and I think when I give you mine, you're going to go, oh, yeah, and, and they actually stitch together nicely. You know, to me, I see children or, or young people as a common thread in all of these. All right? And, um, and. Um, I'm kind of excited to explore that. Trusting. 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 And I think about these. These are attributes that actually come quite easily to children. The understanding one sometimes not, sometimes yes. Oh my goodness, children sometimes have the most difficult time listening. I'd be like, Preston, can you please go? And three minutes later, Preston. And it's like he didn't even hear me. Anyways, that's a tangent. Not important. But really, I have to say, we're talking about a topic that I really love. I love being a father, I love kids, and, um, and I really admire a lot of attributes they have. For one, I really admire just their ability to, like, bounce back from anything. Um, uh, I mean, uh, it can be scary sometimes, but uh, a, a year or two back, um, my daughter actually managed to pull a dresser off the wall, that's very scary, um, I made sure that thing's not going to fall over again anymore, but um, she pulled it back, and, and we were in the other room, and we turned around, and she's like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm like, oh, Um, so they're very resilient, but, um, let's, uh, let's dive into this idea of, of faith and, and children and, and what are we getting at with this idea of, of how do I believe? So, um, firstly, I do want to point out something. I want to be clear on this. Okay. There's a world of difference between children and hypocrites. Okay? I'm not saying those two things are the same, even though there might be this this kind of common word, right? this littleness. I think hypocrites generally have outgrown all of their childlike virtues and none of their childlike vices, but children, there's something interesting there. So let's look at this a little bit more closely, okay? Here we are in Matthew chapter 18, and I don't know why the disciples thought it was a great idea to ask him who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Like, isn't the answer obviously God? But obviously they were saying which person is the greatest, which... Also, like, is that really what you want to ask? Anyways, it's what they asked. And I think Jesus gave them an excellent answer. Probably not the one they wanted. Because none of them qualified. At least at the outset here. Which of us is the greatest, Jesus? He gets a kid. And I wonder to myself sometimes, what age kid? Um, was it a two-year-old? Or a 12- year- old, I really don't think it was an 18- year- old, a 17 year old that's illegally you know, legally speaking. It's a 17- year-old child. I don't think so. I think honestly, it was someone quite young, and they're looking at that kid with probably snot running down his or her nose, and they're going, "We have to be like that guy." So um, but let me just unpack something that Jesus said that we have to kind of we need to take this a little bit seriously um, Okay, here's the phrase. Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are his words. All right, What does that mean? Well, firstly, I'd point out, let's look at the second piece for a second. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's actually pretty obvious what it means. That's not a good thing. You won't be enjoying what we consider synonymous with the kingdom of heaven, eternity, life, goodness, joy, peace, satisfaction, God's presence. We're actually kind of given something very urgent here. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't think they really meant to end up in such deep, serious waters right in that moment, but Jesus kind of brought them there. And maybe that's because of the question they asked and whether or not that was a good question for them to ask. And and I wanna point out there's actually a similarity here between what Jesus says to Nicodemus, right? Unless you are born again. What do you mean? I can't be born again, I'm an old man. That's not a thing that happens. Unless you do, you cannot be in the kingdom of heaven. So, So now we have to investigate this other part which I think is actually the really fun part, okay, if we have to become like children, let's first just say we believe that God is not asking us to do something we cannot do. He did not die on a cross to ask us to do something we cannot do. He died on a cross because he did what we cannot do so that we can come to him. So what does it mean to be like a child? Think about it for a second. Maybe I'll take some answers. Thing is- yeah, I think we already had some great answers, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to borrow from my greatest resource, which is basically my household. Because all our kids, you know, we should have just left them here and asked them what were we thinking, dismissing them. They've got the information we need today. Um, they're probably upstairs enjoying snacks, running around, playing games why are we not doing these things? I don't know. Clearly they're the important. Anyways. So, um, so what do I think of when I think of children? Uh, i kind of obviously think of my own. You're welcome to think of the children in your life. Most likely there are some somewhere. They're everywhere. Um, okay. But in all seriousness, um, my youngest daughter Hadassah is 15 months old. Oh man. Um, what are some things that she does? Literally from the moment I wake up and open the door, she wants to be around me. She'll like chase me down. She'll make me place her on the counter next to me while I cook dinner or breakfast or really any meal. Um, She'll toddle over to sit in my lap during dinner, which is fun, but also I want to eat my own dinner. Um, And um, let's see what else I got here. I mean, she honestly probably sits in my lap, lap like 50 times a day. When she's hurt, she screams until Brittany or I come. Nobody else will do. It's got to be one of us. If one of you came, she'd just scream all the more. Sorry. Um, when she's bored, she seeks us out and will not leave us alone until we entertain her. A little book. Here's one. Oh, great. You read it. Can you read me another? Or just read that one to me again. And it's uh, you know, over and over. It's actually really beautiful. You thought I was going to say annoying. Um, no, it's, it's really amazing. And, and I think to myself, is that what Jesus meant? Do I love Father God the way Hadassah loves me? Do I await his arrival every morning? Do I look to him for consolation, for recreation, for fulfillment and meaning? Do I trust, there's that word back, no matter what, he is going to take care of me? He loves me like a father. I don't even understand it, but I know that's my dad. It's kind of a beautiful thing that we get to witness over and over again. Children have something that we can kind of forget a little bit. So sometimes I wonder if Jesus was thinking of someone like Hadassah and just brought up a one-year-old, and the disciples are looking at that one-year-old going, we have to be like that. You know my papa, that is my grandfather, would start his prayers with Abba Father. And you'll hear Pastor Eric start his prayers sometimes with Papa. I encourage you to try one sometime. Don't do it to add some new Christianese to your vocabulary. I believe Jason talked about that at some point. um, I was upstairs with the kids, which is you know, probably where I ought to have been. Um, But maybe try it on to see how it feels, okay? Because if you think about it, well, I, I'm going to actually just reference a memory that I have. There's this song by a guy named Sean Groves, a Christian artist, and he sings it. It's called Abba Father, and, and um, it's just this very personal song. And um, in the, the song, you know, he goes, you know, Abba Father, I love you, Daddy. And I played that once in my car, and, and somebody very dear to me was listening to it, and I look over, and they're crying, and I'm like, I mean, I get it. It's a, kind of one of the songs, but it just, it, it startled me, but I, I get it. I love you, Daddy. That word is just so powerful. And you know what Abba means? It means Daddy. So if you're saying Abba, Father, if you're saying that in your prayers, which you can, we'll get there in just one second, um, be aware of what you're saying. You're saying Daddy. You're saying to God Almighty, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of Hosts, the utmost on high, Daddy." That is amazing. And um, (laughs) I think that if we didn't have biblical evidence that we can do that, maybe we even ought to do that, um, we probably would think that it's blasphemous. Just the irreverency of calling God Almighty, Daddy it makes it sound like we're bringing him down, when really that's not what's happening. It's the opposite, we're jumping into his lap. Because we have to be like children. If you're too old to be in God's lap, then turn and become like a child. And um, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, sorry, I do have this one written down, you can look, but it's just a one verser so, you can follow along either way. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We're not slaves to God. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. So, maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, you must become like children. Um, Now, I want to draw out of that idea and jump into another same kind of question, but what else makes children unique? I really had a fun time preparing this sermon and just kind of thinking about that. Because, and and I think Jesus does this so many times, he gives us these deep concepts folded into something that we all understand. Guess what? You all understand children because you were one, right? Or maybe you are one. Even if you're, you know, 50 or something like you could still be one. Um, I like to think some days that I still am one. And then I get kind of creaky and my back aches. And, you know, like this morning, my daughter was sleeping on me and like, this is great, but my back is killing me. Um, I think it's the old age, I don't know. Um, Or it could also be the other obvious thing about children. They grow, you know, I, I mean, it just happens, and sometimes you're like, wait, you couldn't do that before. And, and now suddenly they're off doing whatever they're doing. I enjoy asking my daughter Rowena, how did you get so big? To which she generally responds something like, I, I just grew and grew and grew. It's really quite adorable. Can you tell I enjoy my, um, my other job? Uh, my son Preston will tell you that he doesn't want to grow up. We try and encourage him that growing up has many perks, like driving, but he may have a point. Um, But it doesn't matter, because God has beautifully designed every child with guaranteed growth. It is impossible to stop, and who would want to? For what a blessing and what a gift. To be a child is to quite effortlessly grow. Sometimes I really miss that attribute, I really do. Um, uh, Now I know that growing up can be filled with all sorts of heartaches, but growing that comes about as natural to children, as breathing, is really quite amazing. And while the rest of reality is slowly burning down, shrinking and unwinding, children grow. And I think um, in many ways, what I want you to remember about this sermon this question of how do you believe? Well, do you believe in a growing way? Do you believe in a way that transforms you to be markedly more holy or Christ-like? Where once you were a cursing, addicted, cowardly, violent, lying, braggart, but are becoming purified, free, courageous, peaceable, honest, childlike. Does your believing cause you to be sanctified, not for everything that you do, but for everything that is happening in and to you? We need to turn and become like children. Now, if you don't feel like that's happening to you, don't panic. Sometimes we don't know how long it takes for things to germinate. But please, I beg you, don't walk out that door thinking you shouldn't change. Four, and then this one we've already read is 1 John 3, 2 which I think I have a couple more times Beloved, we are God's children and, and then there's this middle piece and what we will be has not yet appeared I encourage you to just pause and think about that one for a minute to realize the wonder of the fact that we are still so young and what we will be has not yet appeared what does that even mean? I don't know because it hasn't yet appeared but someday, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. How many of you feel like Jesus on a day-to-day basis? I appreciate Jason's kind of, yeah, I'm trying here, but honestly, I feel like I'm, I'm still, still on the incline here, but we will see him as he is. You know, in education, sometimes we talk about something called a growth mindset, and its opposite is a fixed mindset. It's pretty straightforward. Some people think that they're fixed. They're just set in their ways. They're, they know what they know and they can't know anything else. Stop trying to teach me that TOK stuff. It doesn't make any sense. I didn't say any names there. <laughs> um, so there's a fixed mindset and then there's the opposite, which is you know a growth mindset, this idea that you're just of course you don't know how to do things, but we learn things. That's why we go to school. That's why we take our experiences and change. And, um, and it will come as no surprise to you that very often this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Those who think they cannot grow, they don't really grow. And those who think that they can, that they will, that it's inevitable, they do. It's kind of amazing honestly and i really caution you from thinking that you have made it to wherever you need to have made it or that you cannot make it to wherever you need to make it god has told us we must turn and become like children and i also just caution you from forgetting god's grace not all of us are great learners but god (coughs) is the best of teachers even if your worst fears of yourself are perfectly accurate that you cannot learn a single thing, that your brain is just sludge. It's not, but even if it were, then I would remind you that God is not passive. His grace is real, living, active. It's a powerful force, far more powerful than our stubbornness. James 1.5 says, also one-liner, sorry, I'm not going to give you any time to find it. You can find it later. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him so don't think that you can't change you need to be like children we need to be like children now i encourage you to think this through more and to tell me what other child qualities might be necessary I, really i mean not right this instant because we need to close up but um, i would love to hear And um, if if you wanted me to point you in a direction, I would say C.S. Lewis' The Weight of Glory has some great stuff about being a child. Um, I would also point out Sir Gibby by George MacDonald, who does not have a farm, at least not that I ever knew of. Um, It's a great, great story if you have the patience for it. Um, It really, it basically asks the question, what would it be like if there was a person who was just kind of perpetually stuck in a child mindset with Christ? It's a really great story. Take a look at it. All right, but before I close, I want to come back to Peter. I feel like I did him a little bit of a bad draw there. But um, here he is walking on the water, our original hypocrite. Um, And I think it's really easy to overlook Peter's great success. All right. I think Peter was acting perfectly in child faith in that entire scenario. I think if it were me, I don't know if I would have the originality be like, oh, wow, Jesus walking on the water. If that's you, call me out, will you? I want to walk on the water, too. Maybe. I don't think that would be me. I think I'd be like, what's the password? <laughs> so, Peter, he really is a great example of child faith. And so, if you want to follow along with me, that story is in Matthew 14, and we'll just read that and we'll close there. I got six minutes on the clock. I think I can do it. Um, you know what? I'm at 18. I'll just go back. That again, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It's always titled, Jesus Walks on the Water, as opposed to Peter Stumbles and Falls into the Water. Um, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, which I think is a great example of being like a child. He just wanted to spend some time with his daddy. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little you of little faith. You could put in you hypocrite if you want to right there. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, I risk the risk I face in such a sermon as this is to have to answer the question, but children grow up, so when should I consider myself grown up? I don't know. Tune in next week for the sermon that I anticipate titling Grown Up Faith. We'll see how it goes. Um, but let me give you one possible thought. First, an analogy. How do you know when someone's mastered riding a bike? They don't fall. They don't fall? That's definitely a good part of it. Could give a few more answers. We'll leave it at that. They enjoy, doing it. they enjoy doing it. That's a great answer. I think I'll just take that one. But again, sometimes there's like 20 different answers and I'm like expecting one and it's good. It's very good. Um, I like, they enjoy doing it. But I would also add to it, they aren't constantly looking at their hands and feet. That is definitely what happens at first. They're just pedaling along. That is not how you're supposed to ride a bike. <laughs> But rather, they're able to see what's around them and where they're going. In the same way, sometimes I consider faith, and I realize that all too often I am asking myself, But am I humble? Am I patient? Am am I gracious? And I feel like these questions are kind of like (laughs) me looking at my feet, or maybe like Peter looking at his footsteps on the water, going, Is this actually happening right now? And I think when we're grown up, we won't marvel so much at our footsteps as we're walking on the water. Instead, we'll realize the point was always what Jesus said, come. Why did Peter walk on the water? Not because it's a great new sport, but because there was Jesus and he was walking to him. So how do you believe? Ask yourself that question, and may it be that you believe in a way that makes you become more like Jesus. For as it is written, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is.